Welcome to the Everything Building Envelope podcast. On this show, we discuss topics relating to the exterior building envelope, such as waterproofing, glazing, cladding, roofing, and more. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. For previous episodes, show notes, and bonus video content, check out our website, everythingbuildingenvelope.com. Now, here's your host for the Everything Building Envelope podcast, Paul Beers. Welcome, everyone, to Everything Building Envelope. Paul Beers here, and I'm really excited today to have our, this is our guest, Chris Matthews, who, who I work with at GCI. And we've got a really interesting topic today, which is waterproofing exterior walls. Um, may not sound so interesting, but it's pretty complex, and there's a lot of different um, items that we can just, that I think our listeners will be very interested in that we're going to discuss. Chris, we've worked together for quite a while now. Quite a while, we? yeah. Yeah, so I remember when you came to work for us, you were actually had relocated up to Atlanta. Right. We were establishing, trying to establish the Atlanta market. Which we have done. You know, obviously we have an office in Atlanta now, and I, I you, you still go up there quite a bit. Quite a bit, you? yes. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so it's um, been a, a, a long and, and um, fun relationship working together. Um, so, Chris, why don't you just give us a little bit about your background and, and basically what you're what you're doing for GCI these days? Well, um, I. I I came into the construction industry right out of college and went to work for a, a large uh, glazing contractor. Uh, so that's my background is in the glazing um, end of things and then uh, evolved into um, other areas of the building envelope, uh, joined GCI in 2002 and I've been working on in the uh, exterior envelope consulting arena uh, since then. Um, been in the business now for 30 years. I remember when I started I'd go to meetings and you know the, the, the old guys would say, oh, we've been doing it this way for 30 years. You know, 30 years was the magic number. And now, uh, unfortunately, that's where I'm at. Hopefully, I'm a little more open-minded than some of those old-timers were. Yeah, please tell me you're not doing what you were doing 30 years ago. <laughs> so let's talk about waterproofing exterior walls. Um, you know, when I think about that, there, there's two primary kinds of construction that we typically see, the what I would call masonry, which is a concrete frame with, with concrete CBS or concrete block infill. And then, of course, what's probably a lot more of out there is the um, framing and sheathing type of systems. And it could be, you know, metal studs or wood framing or whatever. Um, so, is there differences in how you would waterproof those types of um, applications? Yes, we see a lot. Of, we see a lot of both types of construction, and there are definitely uh, very different approaches uh, as to how to construct those walls, design those walls properly to to handle water infiltration to pre- prevent water infiltration. So, so let's let's talk first about the uh, the masonry construction. Um, I know, you know, and I hate to admit this, back in the 80s and 90s when I was a window installer, we would basic, they would, they would erect the system and they would, you know, we would put the windows in and they would stucco and paint and caulk and we'd move on and um, just there's a lot of mass there. There's a lot of um, stucco and concrete for water to get through before it gets to the inside of the building and that generally I think was effective, but is that 
enough, or, or do you think that maybe, or, or, or what, 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 what's being done now a days as compared to 30 years ago? Well, sure, and I, and I remember uh, the same type of construction you, you described, and, and there are still uh, people who, who, who ascribe to that method and, and want to do it that way. I think what we've learned over the years is that uh, when you've got extreme climates, uh, extreme weather situations, you, you do get water in around window and door openings if, if all you do is paint the stucco and, and apply a, a, a bead of sealant between the, the window and frame, uh, the window and stucco. So, so what we do now is we, what we recommend is to try to address that uh, opening before stucco is installed, before window, windows are installed, and install a, a fluid applied waterproofing around the perimeter of the rough opening uh, to, to provide a waterproof substrate at that opening. So how, um, when you say around the opening, is that just inside the, the infill where the window goes, or does that go out on the wall? How far, you know, th what, what's the particulars with that? Yeah, we go around the, the, the perimeter of the opening, and then and typically we like to see it turned out four to six inches out onto the wall around the opening. And why is that important? Uh, well, you can have cracking, you can have uh, any opening is, is, is a hole in the wall, so you can have a lot of imperfections and materials coming together there. Um, so we like to turn that out and, and waterproof that whole area so there's no paths for water to migrate in around the opening. So then what? So once that waterproofing's uh, installed around the opening, uh, the next step is, is for the window installer to come and and start installing the windows and the doors. Uh, those are installed uh, with a proper space around the window uh, between the frame and the, and the, the C CMU wall. Uh, and then a... So, so, I'm sorry to interrupt, but what is a proper, what, what's a proper space? Uh, we, we like to see a minimum of 3 8 inch. Um, a lot of jobs are designed e even with more up to a half inch because construction materials vary. Um, so if you design, a court, all the, 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 the sealant manufacturers' uh, materials are designed uh, for a minimum joint width of a quarter inch. But if you design a building to a quarter inch, uh, it, it looks fine on paper, but we all know out in the field materials vary and you can start to get joints that are too thin and don't perform properly over time. So we'd like to see a three-eighths to half-inch joint designed. And um, so, 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 the, so that sealant joint. Um, what, what kind of sealant do you typically use there? Do you have to um, use primers, you know, bond breakers, all that kind of stuff? Well, we like to see a high-quality uh, silicone sealant. It's the most durable. Um, it's the longest-lasting, um, and 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 the best performing uh, for uh, for the building over the long haul. Um, and and yes, the. Uh, we, we recommend uh, pre-construction adhesion and co compatibility testing of the sealant uh, to all, all of the contact materials, but in this case it would be the, the waterproofing material and the, and the aluminum window frames. Um, and then field adhesion testing as the process, uh, as, it in, as the sealant is, is being installed to verify that um, we're, we're getting the adhesion and, and performance that we need. So, so who would do this field adhesion testing? Well, uh, we can perform the, the, the field adhesion the we can perform the field adhesion testing or um, the local uh, representatives of the various 
sealant manufacturers uh, can come and uh, perform the testing and, and we'll, we'll be there and witness it. Now, if a, if a sealant manufacturer performs the testing, um, what do they charge for it? And then do they, you know, just call it good and walk away or do they provide any documentation? Or how does that all work? Uh, it's a free service. Um, so definitely something that should be done on every job. And the, the, the manufacturers provide uh, a, a, an actual test report with a pass-fail um, uh, rating on, the, on, on each of the substrates that the material was adhered to. And uh, if there is a problem, they will get involved and, and provide uh, further testing and recommendations for what needs to be done to, to get proper adhesion. So it's a, it's a valuable process um, that, that, that costs nothing. And definitely we recommend it uh, to be done on every job. Sounds too good to be true. Exactly right. <laughs> um, okay, so we got our so basically our windows roughed in. It's sealed to the structure. Um, then I guess the stucco. The, yes. Then the stucco is installed, and the the and the and the the typical detail is for the installer to rake a group to return the the stucco back toward the window, not in contact with the window. Uh, rake a groove at the perimeter. And then uh, the stucco is painted, finished in, in whatever manner it's going to be finished. And uh, then a, a second sealant joint, some people call it a beauty bead, um, is installed between the window and the finished stucco um, to, to complete the installation. And you mentioned that the stucco should, should not be touching the window frame. Why, why is that important? Well, the, the stucco is a cement-based product. Uh, and c cement and, and aluminum don't get along well. Um, if, if cement and, and the aluminum frames are in contact o over long periods of time and water is added, um, which obviously it would be at the exterior of a building, um, the, the, the cement-based stucco can corrode and break down the aluminum. So they have to be separated, not just stucco and aluminum, anywhere um, that aluminum frames would be in contact with any cement-based material. There, there has to be separation or isolation. Have you seen instances where, where maybe it wasn't done, you know, the way that, that's recommended, where, where the stucco has contacted the frame? Yes, and, yeah. And what happens? Yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a major problem um, for the project. It takes some time, you know, you're not going to see major results in three, four, six months, but after a few years of contact, um, you're gonna there. There can be major corrosion and breakdown of the aluminum um, to the point that you may have to replace everything. Sounds expensive. Yes, definitely. Yeah. For something that's really simple, right? Simple. Yeah, it, it's it's just a matter of the an installation method and some and some materials, uh, films, fillers, something to separate the stucco from the frame when it's originally installed. So, um, so you know, the, the other type of construction that we're talking about is, is the um, frame construction, I'll call it. And when, when I say frame, you know, people, I think, always think wood, but that could be metal studs, just would be the, conceptually, it would be the same difference from a, similar difference, same difference from a design standpoint, wouldn't it? Sure, yeah, and you see a lot of the, uh, the heavy gauge uh, steel studs in, in um, bigger buildings, taller buildings, commercial buildings versus the residential application. But we, 
we see both wood frame and, and uh, steel stud framed all the time. And then these, these framing systems would have a sheathing over it, applied over it, which could be some wood-based product or, or a gypsum sheathing typically, correct? Yeah, we see, uh, I, I get the, the three types we typically would see were, would be plywood sheathing, uh, oriented strand board or OSB sheathing, and then in, in your, in your uh, steel frame construction, it's typically a fiberglass faced uh, gypsum sheathing. Yeah, and when you say fiberglass face gypsum sheathing, is there a, is there a paper face exterior sheathing available? Well, it, yes, and and there was a time when that was the the, the, the standard in the industry, uh, but it has virtually no um, resistance to, to water. Uh, so the fiberglass faced products are much bat better at handling incidental water and preventing breakdown of the of the sheathing. And most people are using them these days. Yes, even, yes. Even though they're maybe a little more expensive. It's more expensive, but I, I, it's it's widely accepted in the industry that that's required. So in in the in the construction documents and uh, and, and actual buyout of materials, we see the fiberglass face used almost everywhere. And then, so you know, with with the with the exterior wall systems, these they could be clad um, um, with with I'm sure different things like stucco, brick, um, wood siding, know, metal panels, stone, lots of different things, right? Yes, yes. So what what keeps the water out in these kind of systems? Well, in in a in the in this type of system, you have to design the construction and the wall details with the assumption that water is going to get behind the different types of cladding systems that you described. Um, brick, stucco, uh, siding, panels, every one of these, can, uh, water can, can and in most cases will get behind that exterior cladding. So the wall has to be designed to handle that moisture. And there's a weather resistant barrier, a WRB installed over that sheathing, um, both uh, sheet type materials, uh, wraps, um, that people are familiar with, and then uh, another option are fluid type uh, weather barriers, fluid applied weather barriers. And before we talk about them, just very briefly, I just want to touch on the fact that you know we were talking basically about a drainage based system. There's also you know, and they're not very popular anymore, I think, because of a lot of failures. There, there used to be a lot, used to see a lot of barrier systems. And can you just tell us the difference between the, what, what, what we've talked about now, the drainage system, and what a barrier system is? Yeah, a barrier system, in theory, on paper, it's not, it's not that bad. Um, if you've got a, a material that has a waterproof exterior plane, um, and you install that on the building, and in a, in a manner that you think no water will ever get behind it, it it's like a glove on the outside of the building, and and everything's good. The problem is uh, joints break down, there's cracks, there's penetrations, there's other paths that people didn't anticipate water getting behind these uh, barrier type systems. And once they did, the material did just as good a job of holding water in as it did uh, holding water out. So now you've got water behind that material held in up against materials back in the time when these were most popular, like these paper-based gypsum products we talked about, and you can have uh, you know, just catastrophic damage to the building. Um, so the, the barrier system 
in theory can be good and there's still times like you said when uh, when it can be applied uh, uh, and, and done effectively but by by and large uh, we see the jobs uh, um, as uh, designed with a with a drainage type system that anticipates some water behind that uh, exterior wall cladding and and with flashings and and weather barriers installed in a manner to control it and get it back out of that system where it can't damage those walls. So, um, so, so tell us about the, some of the different types of weather barrier systems that, that are predominantly being used these days. Well, you know, kind of the old school is just the, the asphaltic building felt. Um, um, you, you, you still see it in Home Depot on rolls and um, they put it on, on shingle roofs. Uh, um, but, but it's just an asphalt impregnated building paper um, and, it, and it can work as a weather barrier. Uh, it's got some, some, some uh, weaknesses in that it doesn't hold up well um, in, in, out, in, uh, out in the sun and weather uh, prior to uh, the, the exterior wall cladding being installed. Um, it's easily torn. Um, it's, so so there's, some, there's some potential problems with that. Um, you've got the wrap type uh, uh, of um, weather barriers, which is uh, the most popular, uh, I think, especially in your single-family residential, that type of thing. There's some big names in, uh, in the wrap type uh, of barriers that people are all real familiar with. Like Tyvek. Tyvek yeah. uh, is, is probably the, the most familiar, it's, it's like a Kleenex, you know, some people call a tissue a Kleenex, a lot of people call any type of wrap a Tyvek. So the, most people are familiar with that. And then what we see uh, gaining more popularity and that we're, we're big advocates of are um, uh, fluid applied uh, weather barriers that are actually paint, uh, rolled or sprayed on to the exterior sheathing um, to to provide that uh, that protection before the wall cladding goes on. And why do we like that better than the um, the sheet materials? Well, there there's a lot of lot of benefits to that. Uh, um, one difficulty with the sheet materials is is sequencing, in that um, everything on the, the control of the water and the drainage of the water out from behind the cladding is so important to uh, the longevity of the building. And, and to do that, everything has to be shingle lapped um, with each successive higher area lapped over the lower area so that water flows down to a flashing location and out, just like a, a shingle roof. The, the, each, layer, each level moving up the roof is lapped over um, the layer below. That can present a lot of difficulties because of sequencing during the construction process in that certain things may be installed before or after the wrap and, and creating con conditions where those materials aren't easily lapped in that manner and where there are paths for water to get behind that, that wrap type of barrier. So we've seen a lot of buildings with failures where that's the problem not that the wrap is not performing, but that there were paths that for water to get behind the wrap and then cause damage like we talked about earlier. Um, so that the, the fluid applied eliminates that issue. You can roll or spray on your, your, your main uh, layer of the material, and then if you've got to add something else 
oh, I forgot, or sequencing, or whatever, and you've got to put a condition with a, a negative lap, you can just add more of the material and resolve that. The other thing that we like about the fluid applied is, even if somehow water gets um, through it, behind it, at, at, at a specific location, everywhere else it's still adhered to the sheathing. So you don't have water running down behind material and causing damage uh, you know, as gravity just pulls it down behind, like you, like we've seen so many times behind the wrap types. And I've, 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 I've also, you know, seen and heard that the another advantage of it is that you can color it so that you can actually, when you do an inspection, you can confirm that you've got good coverage because let's say it's yellow and and and, and you just make sure that there's yellow everywhere. Exactly. Yes, and and they they design it just like you said, and the different manufacturers have their different colors. Um, but they can they design it so it's it's pretty much foolproof in that if you if if you see something reading through then you don't have it on thick enough um, but if you've got a, a constant uh, continuous uh, col color whatever it may be um, you know you've got the the material installed uh, adequately so you know as, as we're doing this podcast and um, it's the construction industry is very busy now there's you look up you go through any city in the US and you see cranes and, and construction crews and whatnot and you know so you, you'd mentioned foolproof and how does that help when you in times when it's really busy out there well um, you you definitely want to make it as 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 simple as it can be to get it right uh, because there are so many materials coming together at the exterior wall um, and, and, eat, and each of those materials taken on its own is, is probably very good but there are so many joints and connections and intersections between all of these materials uh, and in busy times there's people are spread thin there's not as many, much supervision there's maybe not as much um, experience in the actual installers um, so um, you want to make things as as close to foolproof as they can be to prevent those all of those joints and, and transitions from becoming a problem. So in a, an exterior wall system, you know, they, um, I know one of the big problems there is can be um, openings in the wall system, uh, windows, dryer vents, um, you know, hose bibs, light fixtures. What 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 kind of special attention needs to be paid in those areas? And I guess let's talk about window openings first. Yeah. What do you have to do in a window opening? You it has to be flashed properly, which with which with whatever type of of weather barrier um, you're going to use. That uh, the typical flashing materials for uh, window openings in in the frame type construction is a. Uh, uh, an adhered membrane of uh, uh, people call it a peel and stick flexible type flashing and and this has to be installed properly around the window opening or any of the of the penetrations that you that you talked about dryer vents um, uh, door openings whatever the whatever the hole in the wall may be um, it needs to be flashed with the peel and stick type material um, that 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 ties into the weather barrier and creates a continuous uh, protection, a continuous plane 
um, that won't allow water uh, behind the barrier like we talked about earlier or in at the, the holes in the walls that all of these penetrations create. And you say it has to be done properly. So who provides the information on how to do it properly? Do you see it in construction details? Or does, do the installers just know how to do this? I and mean, how does this happen so that it gets done properly? Well, it, uh, it, I, I see more and more now where architects are um, trying to address the proper flashing of openings and penetrations in their drawings. And we certainly assist um, when we're doing design assistance work with trying to get those, uh, those uh, details right. Um, but there are a lot of uh, very fine details in getting that right. And so it's, it's a difficult thing to draw and show properly. Um, so what we, what we like to do is um, get out there and work with the people who are going to be installing this and, and, and get, get the first of each of these type of openings and work it through and, and, and have everyone agree that this is the, the proper way to install it and this is the way we're going to do every one on this job. So let's just talk about that a little bit, the, the sequence of events. You know, obviously, let's say that we've got a set of plans that, that may or may not show how to do this um, or how to do it properly. Um, what happens from that point forward? There's, there's contractors, subcontractors, we're ready to go. What, what do we need to do to make sure we have a successful installation? Well, we like, we like to get those plans right. Um, um, most jobs, they, they are right. Um, some they may not be. But regardless, you got to get that, that that's got to be communicated to the field, to the, to the people out actually installing this stuff. So what we like to do is is get to those, those, those groups of actual installers together and get them out on the job. And we'd like to see a mock-up of some type um, constructed to where we've got the various conditions and materials that we're going to be installing on this job and we just work it through. Because let's face it, no matter how good those drawings are, uh, a lot of these guys may never even see the drawings. And we've got to get out there and, 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 and show them this is the way it has to be installed if we want this building to be uh, to perform like it needs to. And here's a mock-up of window openings, penetrations, balconies, doors, whatever it may be. Um, here's how we're going to get how we're going to install in all those conditions. And once it's done, this is our reference point for the job. You, you said windows, doors, penetrations, balconies. Does, how do you get all that covered? Do you have to do, you know, does one mock-up cover all, or sometimes you have to do more than one mock-up? Yeah, we, I've seen some, and we've been on some projects where, and it could be a big, a real process to try to put together a, a, a mock-up plan that incorporates all the, the details on a project. So we've had some that were very elaborate mock-ups um, with a balcony and various wall claddings and window and door types, um, or as you said, you may have to do some uh, several different mock-ups um, with of of different wall conditions and, and balcony to wall conditions. You know, and, and they can be very elaborate, or there can be a series of more simple um, details uh, of, of mock-up details. Um, and and some of that may depend upon whether it's going to be also a 
uh, an aesthetic mock-up that really shows people how the building's going to look, which is not our big concern, or um, if it's just going to be a functional type mock-up, then it doesn't really matter how pretty it looks. And you know, I've, we've, we've done balcony mock-ups in the back of a pickup truck um, to get the, the details right. Do, uh, do, these, do, they actually, do they ever do these mock-ups actually do it in the building? Yeah, and that, yeah, that's a good point. Yes, a lot of times, depending upon the, construct, the schedule, or, you know, site conditions, what, uh, dollars, um, it may be that we just take a, maybe a corner of a building or a specific uh, uh, unit and, and, and accelerate it and get all the materials there and build an in-place mock-up. Um, that then doesn't have to be door, torn down. All the money is going toward uh, the end construction then. So when you say in place mock-up, does that mean, uh, well, let me ask you this first. When should that be done? Well, early. The earlier the better. Um, we'd like to see a standalone mock-up built, and, and, and I've been on many jobs where the standalone mock-up is built, and we're out there working on the details, and they're just you know starting to come out of ground with, with the walls. Um, but if it's going to be an in-place mock-up, it's got to be the first um, of, of each of whatever it is, window opening, door opening, balcony, it's got to be the first one on the building. And like I said, we'd like to get the, the trades there a little before they're ready to just run with their, with their product installation so we can accelerate all those together in this one area of the building and get everything worked out up front. So, you know, we do that, and, th and then how do we know if it's going to actually perform or not? Well, w what we want to do is test it. We, we want to do water infiltration testing, um, uh, which is a big part of, of, of what we do. We like to test those mock-ups, whether standalone or in place, um, with, a, with an ASTM uh, test that simulates a wind-driven rain. So we can... We, we think we've got it right, everything looks right, we've got it all installed, let's test it now, make sure nobody overlooked anything, everything's performing like it should. Um, we'd like to do flood testing on the balcony waterproofing in these types of buildings. Um, get water out there, test it, and, and make sure that our plan is solid and we've got a good, uh, we've got a good path to move forward with the construction. When, when you do these tests, do they usually pass? Um, Nah, no, <laughs> you can say it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, you know, I, sometimes they do, uh, uh, but uh, a lot of times you may, you, you know, a lot of times there could be installation problems. You may get everything installed properly, but something didn't get uh, something with the window itself. Maybe uh, was left out, or a problem with it, or s some other issue that nobody even foresaw in all these installation details. So. Uh, you, you know, typically you're, you're going to get some leaks in those early tests and you're going to uh, kind of work through that process to get things resolved. So, so when you say work through that process to get things resolved, you, you know, you, you, I'm assuming you do repairs and then you keep testing until you get it fixed. Yes. Yeah. And, and what happens after that to make sure, you know, so you've, you've got one window that you know isn't going to leak. How do you make sure the rest of the job is going to perform at that point? Well, what we like to do is then, is then conduct regular inspections throughout the installation process. So we're coming back on a regular basis um, because we all know things can get off track. You know, different people can be on the job. Someone can get confused as to what the details were in that mock-up, whatever it may be. 
Um, we want to continue to install throughout, uh, to inspect through that installation process and make sure that everybody's still performing uh, the way they were when, when that mock-up was done. And then we'd like to do um, some confirmation water testing as the installation continues also just to, uh, as another way of verifying that everything's still being done um, the way it should. And, and when you do these confirmation tests, do you sometimes find that, I mean, do, do, they, do they pass or do you sometimes find, you know, that maybe there's something going on that would have otherwise been missed? Yeah, I think, you know, that certainly more of those pass because you've worked through some of those initial problems, but you can still, uh, we still certainly see um, some t sometimes when there's failures in those types of tests where, like I say, maybe somebody's, uh, somebody's screwed something up um, from, from what our original plan was um, to the current point, or uh, maybe we got a different condition that no one foresaw in the, in the mock-up phase, some, some kind of a variation that's causing some issues that, that we find during a test. When, when you do these tests, you know, in the middle of the job or the end of the job, how do you um, know that that particular area hasn't been given special treatment by the contractor just to make sure that they pass the test? Well, and that, that's certainly a concern, and, um, and we try to avoid that by selecting openings randomly. So, it, you know, obviously everybody knows a test is coming. Um, hopefully everybody's installing every opening properly, but um, we'd like to have uh, an, an area of the building where there's several openings and, and we can pick, pick some randomly um, to represent what's really going on, not, as you said, something that's been kind of beefed up to pass a test. And then, and then with the testing, you know, what's, what's the ultimate goal with testing as you're getting towards the end of the project? Well, at the end, what we'd like to be doing is coming out there and everything we test is just passing the first time. And, 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 and that's, what we would, we, that's what we always recommend is we want to get to a point where we're we're, we can pick any opening and we can test it and it, and it, and it passes the first time we test it. And, and generally, you'd feel pretty good about things at that point. At that point, you do. Yeah, yeah. sure. Nothing's, nothing's an ironclad guarantee. Um, but, but when you come out there and you've got several successive tests that pass on the first time, everybody's got a pretty good comfort level then at that point. I know I've worked on projects before where, um, like big buildings, you know, we've gone through this whole series and the testing went well and everything, and then they get hit with a extreme weather event after the fact. And I can remember one client in particular calling me up and saying, you know, there was a big storm, um, tropical type storm, and I can remember the owner calling up and saying, I'm so happy, I only had four leaks. You know, whereas if it, if we hadn't done the testing, the whole building might be flooding. Right, right, yeah, but right. And and if and if it's someone like that has been there in the beginning and seen that first test, well, maybe there were some problems, and they're they're kind of doing the math in their head and saying, well, if we hadn't done that, that could have been at a thousand openings, um, and so four is a pretty good number in an extreme event. So, Chris, thanks so much for uh, being a guest on Everything Building Envelope. I know that this, um, you know, these weatherproofing. Um, of, of exterior walls is a, is a very uh, interesting topic to a lot of our listeners. So um, I, I hope that we'll be able to get you back for some more episodes. We'll, we, I know there's a lot of things that we can talk about with your expertise and you know, that we can dig deeper into. Yep. Sounds good. I'd be happy to come back anytime. 
So with that, we're signing off. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Everything Billy Envelope, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for joining us today. Please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. For more information on the Everything Building Envelope, previous episodes, show notes, bonus video content, and much more, check out our website, everythingbuildingenvelope.com.